and welcome to Fintech Insider. Today, we have a bit of a special episode for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Balkin, who is the Global Head of Innovation and Corporate Development at JP Morgan Payments. How's it going? Great for you to join. I mean, join is like literally joining us as well. Like we're in the same place. This is the first interview we've done for, I think, like 18 months, Laura. Wow. Weird. Face to face. Well, is and and and. It's only slightly better than when we first met in New York, uh, I don't know, pre-pandemic about 25 years ago. It does feel like that, doesn't it? It's kind of weird. But it's great to be here and thanks for the opportunity. It was a bit jet lagged flying in this morning, but I did see the sun this morning and as a proud Australian, I can tell my friends back home who are listening that the sun did shine in London today. <laughs> it happens like twice a year, but uh, <laughs> so what, what brings you to London? Uh, so I'm here uh, en route to uh, to Dublin. I'm speaking at a client event tomorrow um, in, in in Treasury. All of a sudden, payments are, are sexy, no longer sleepy and boring. Uh, and obviously, stopping on the way here to to see you and a, and a few other folks um, and some clients. Uh, it's a busy week, and then I'm off to Middle East over the weekend for uh, for something over in Abu Dhabi, and then back just in time for Thanksgiving, the the American day where where families get together. So it's a big week on the road. Wow, you could racking up those air miles suddenly as well. Like, uh, I've been worried about that while I've, the pandemic's been happening. Like, my, all my air miles are going to expire, you know what I mean? Like, so actually, just a little bit of a top up in these trips. It's good. Yeah, it's it's, it's that time of year. Got to get a lot done before the end of the year. So glad we can do it. Glad we can see you and a lot of fun today. Very cool. Well, I mean, on today's show, what we're going to be doing is talking a little bit about your background, your career, uh, and actually a bit of a deep dive into the the report that you guys put out, which is all about payments eating the world. I mean, there's there's so much in that we can kind of unpack. But maybe if we start off a little bit with with you, you know, tell us a little bit more about your your role at JPM because like it's a, a fascinating one, and you guys are. A, big players in this space in terms of not only payments, but much broader than that. But let's start a little bit with about what got you to here. I mean, when I first met you, like say in in, in New York, uh, you were at a different organization, but take us further back than that. Like, how did you get into banking? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> well, so born in Australia, I, my parents are from Southern Africa, so first generation Australian. I've always been an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur within financial services and started my first, I guess you could call it a fintech business before there even was a term fintech in Australia. And then I remember my father, who was a McKinsey lifer, God bless him, um, gave me some advice. He said, Jeremy, you're an idiot. Go work for Macquarie Bank. Uh, don't do this. And of course, five years later, I ended up going to Macquarie Bank after starting this fintech from scratch. And I, mean, I mean, we always think we're not going to do this thing our dad said, <laughs> didn't they? But it, it turns out that way. And then, you know, I survived an extreme sports injury in 2008 uh, that changed my life just in the aftermath of Lehman Brothers. So between sort of one's livelihood and then, of course, one's health, in flux at the same time, you know, I sort of took the opportunity with the second chance that I was given to, to you know, wanted to be a different person and a different professional. And candidly, with the the world in the state that it was in post Lehman's, if you wanted to have a, dare I say, a small positive, even potentially incrementally positive impact on an industry that had lost its way, you had to come to New York. You couldn't do that from Sydney. So I came to America in 2013. I didn't know anyone. I came with a, a half-empty bag, and I'm a positive person, but the bag was literally half-empty, and it's been a almost a decade there, and it's been an awesome journey, and leading innovation now at the second place um, at scale. This time, obviously, JP Morgan, we're the leader in payments, and if you think about payments, you know, historically been sleepy. Now it's arguably the sexiest part of financial services, and it's also the part of the financial services you can have the greatest positive impact because if you can move capital efficiently in the economy, especially as we've seen over the last couple of years, the the power of that, you can touch people's lives in a real way. If you can move, you know, if you can if you can be the difference between a payment being received today or tomorrow, that could be life or death for, for a small business or for an individual. It's so important, and I think that's the mission we're on. It's day one. 
Amazing. I mean, you touched on it very briefly, but I, I mean, if you don't mind talking about it, I'd love to kind of unpack slightly. Like you said, you had a extreme sports major injury. Like, I mean, I hurt my knee playing basketball. That doesn't sound anywhere near as dramatic, but t- tell us a little bit more about that because I mean, those types of things sort of shape your outlook on life. Yeah. I mean, love basketball, but it wasn't basketball. I, you know, when I was, well, my first major injury was a rugby injury and I sm- smashed my leg up. I got two screws there. Then later in life, I snapped my arm in half, um, wow. hanging off a rope. Um, we used to do this sort of military climbing off a cliff, uh, just your upper body on the rope. And of course, there were probably like 12 ex-Special Forces guys mm-hmm. and then the finance guy. And I mean, <laughs> you probably could have seen the outcome already. And, um, you know, it was the 26th of December, 2008. And, you know, my arm just snapped on the top of the rope. It was really at the top. So it was like a 50-foot drop. And my humerus, and it wasn't funny, but this is called your humerus bone, literally snapped. Um, and so now I have, I think it's a 18-centimeter plate and 14 screws. My wife would argue now that there's a screw loose, but it's not in there. Uh, and, you know, with with the second chance that I was given, I was very lucky, you know, when I woke up in the hospital two days afterwards and the surgeon, you know, said to me, Jeremy, you're a very, very lucky young man. And, you know, when your life's going through these existential moments, notwithstanding that Lehman Brothers had collapsed two months earlier and we all thought the world was going to end, especially if you're in financial services, it, it gave me pause for the type of person and professional that I wanted to be because I was given this second chance. And you, one thing you learn in life is, you know, you don't know when it's going to end. And so because I was given a second chance for when it was going to end, I still don't know when it will end. I hope it's a long way away, but I didn't want to waste any moment. And one thing I also learned, which has very much driven me since then, is the concept of time and how valuable You can sell it. You can never buy it. And so I don't want to waste a second of my life, uh, personally or professionally. That's why I'm on this mission. And, and I think also we're in a world where time is a premium now. And with technology, with fintech, with expectation, with millennial sh- uh, preferences that have shifted and sh- reshaped almost every industry, you know, time is such a premium. And people have finally realized that, which is great. But philosophically, that's what's been driven me since, since recovery and the last, you know, what is it, 2008. So what are we now, 21? So it's almost 14 years since, and it's been... You know, I'm very lucky for for giving the second chance. Yeah. I mean, those things really stick with you, as I was saying, the, the sort of recovery around that. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, getting back on your, you know, getting back on your feet, going through all that physio, kind of getting back to, to doing things. I, I guess you're not, you know, climbing ropes anymore to avoid those types of injuries. But um, so do you beep when you go through an airport as well? Like my, it's, my pins. It's, it's funny. <laughs> uh, it's funny because a lot of my mates would say, you know, you're going to when you go through it only happened once it was the first trip after this I was I'm a huge Manchester United fan hopefully no one holds it against me um, and I was flying it was May of 2009 when we uh, we were in the Champions League final in Rome and being the diehard sportsman I f- literally flew to Rome for a day for the final and of course we lost and we didn't play with a striker and Sir Alex Ferguson you're a great guy but what were you doing that day but 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 literally went through security in Rome and I was like, I had like a backpack. I didn't have, like I was there for the game. And you could see this massive scar. It was pretty fresh. And they're beeping me and they're all, they're taking out the hand scanner. And I'm like, dude, it's here. This is what it is. And I literally had to strip down. It was the most embarrassingly stupid thing. But, you know, it is what it is. And it only happened once, thankfully. Uh, I mean, it's good good story for, for, for the kids and everything as well, Well, I'd right? rather us won, frankly. But, you know, <laughs> a different, different story for another day. Indeed. Although I did love the fintech uh, and football 
podcast, which I did listen on the plane overnight. So, I just, you know, if you're going to do that next year, please let me know, just in, just in case you need an intern for the day. Definitely. I mean, all of these all of these things you love converging. It's, it's it. great. And speaking of things you love, obviously payments. You know, yep. you touch on the the impact that it has uh, globally on people's lives. You know, this isn't just moving money around. This is, you know, facilitating economies globally, isn't it? So, I mean, how do you think, and I guess zooming in a little bit on the report, I mean, how has payments suddenly got so sexy? Like actually, what's happened there? Because, you know, if you literally just took it as, you know, money moving around the world, well, that's not that interesting. But but actually now it's facilitating everything that we do, isn't it? Every sort of walk of life. So what's happened? Well, David, I think you nailed it. I mean, Historically, when we think of a payment, we think of essentially taking a piece of paper from one someone's wallet physically to another. Over time, what's happened is what is what actually is a payment? A payment is a, is an exchange of value or a transfer of value or a transfer of data because we're now in a digital world. So when you think about what a payment actually is and how it's evolved into the world we live in right now, exchange of data and exchange of value is is what everybody does instinctively. So this is the era of payments. If you think about in 2007, you know, the, you know, the beloved iPhone came out, right? So 10 years later, in 2016, there were 3.67 billion smartphone subscriptions in the world. By 2026, another 10 years after that, you know, 91% of the world is going to have a smartphone. What we've created over the last, call it decade or so, is as we've connected people through technology, through the internet, through mobile, we create these like vertical platforms. Now, when we've created these platforms, these ecosystems, it's about connecting each other. And so we've gone from connecting people to connecting platforms. So when you connect platforms, you exchange data horizontally, vertically, 360 degrees, and that's what a payment is. And that's why we absolutely think this is the era of payments. But but you actually, in the premise of your question, is an important one. You said, like, what's happened? Over the last, again, decade, there's been $1.5 trillion with a T of investments across all things fintech, M&A investment over the last decade. $1.5 trillion with a T. I mean, staggering amounts of money. What's come out of that? The biggest fintechs of the world are all payments companies. In addition, another data point that's interesting, uh, and sorry if anyone missed the boat on on this, but over the last, again, sort of call it 2009 to 2020, there was, of total shareholder return of publicly listed companies, payment companies compounded about 25%, massively exceeding asset management, investment banking, consumer banking. So as a sector, it's it's just performed phenomenally well. I would argue it's a sleeping giant. It's gone from literally being sleepy to arguably the sexiest, most exciting part of financial services, driven by technology, driven by mobile connectivity, and driven by this platformization of the economy. Yeah. And that's why it's the most exciting space to be in. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? As you say, it's, it's moved from a just a rail. And, and as you describe it, this isn't, if you don't ask somebody 30 years ago what a payment was, it was movement of money. And now, to your point, it's movement of data, isn't it? You know, that's it. Money is by nature, digital 100%. these days, and that's not just cryptocurrency. It's it's normal currency. It's a it's a it's a one or a zero, or a, 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 you know, a factor of that to, to actually move something from A to B. So, and, and can I just say, just this is an important little fact for 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 folks out there, and it's something I learned in the process of authoring or co-authoring uh, payments reading the world, which is, you know, the first sort of paper money came out in China, and I think it was about the eleven hundreds. It took about eight, another 700 years, so call it the early 1800s, to have a phys- the first known physical wallet, right? Then it took another 200 years to get to essentially digital wallet, 99, PayPal. And then it took about 15 years, so call it 2014, 2015, with the, the, the Am- you know, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, uh, to get to the mobile wallet. And now we're looking at you know, central bank digital currencies. I mean, it's amazing the speed of which this innovation is happening in payments. 
And I think it's better for the consumer. It's better for the for the end user, for the enterprise, for the small business. And to me, this just rapid innovation is not getting slower. It's only getting faster. And you think about what's the, the second and third order effect going to be for the downstream economy, especially the new economy post-pandemic, which we want the world to grow. We want, we want equitable distribution of payment flows and wealth creation and opportunity, especially for younger people. I think it's an exciting future. Mm, but it's yeah. powered by payments because in many ways, payments is the core of it. And then you have value-added services laid on top, which almost every business today is a payments business at its core. Well, that's, that's something that I sort of read in that report that you said is like every business is a payments business. So so what do you mean by that? Because obviously that's not that every business is uh, is going to make its money from payments necessarily, but but do you mean that it's it's sort of a major part of the facilitation of the business I guess even existing, right? Businesses uh, exist to sell things, don't yeah, they? Yeah, if you I mean no business whether a small business or a large enterprise merchant would, would be able to exist if they can't either pay or be paid fu- fundamentally. And I think the technology has enabled that in, in ways like never before where entire new business models and ecosystems, you could argue, have been created based upon the ability for payments to be at the core. And then you layer these value-added services on top to the extent that I would argue, we would argue that every business is a payment business. Think about just the, the last couple of years with the pandemic. You know, there was some previously business-to-business or enterprise um, business models where they had to go direct to consumer to be paid. And that was a fundamental shift. And you've seen, like in, I think it's in Europe, in, uh, can I say the UK is part of Europe for the purpose of argument? I'm not going to offend anyone. Geographically, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh, But but if you look at uh, across Europe in 2020, you know, digital financial services adoption, dare I say fintech, up 72%. In the US, 39%. You look at the role that digital financial adoption, fintech, in, in the developing world, 6% of GDP by 2025. You know, these, these, these stru- they're not cyclical. These are structural shifts in how we do business enabled by the payment, first and foremost. You look at the rise of super apps in China, for example, and the super app is coming to the West faster than people even realize. But at, at, at the core is the ability to send and receive payments. And that's what's so exciting. Fantastic. Well, I mean, this is something that obviously, you know, you guys, JP Morgan, are, are very familiar with. You know, you're not a, a commentator just in this sense in terms of actually everything that's happened. So talk to us a little bit more about what, what you guys are doing in this space, because I've, you know, I read the headlines and uh, and see different things that are sort of, sort of coming out. But there's three or four of them that, that stand out as you guys are really putting your, you know, your money where your mouth is in terms of the industry, right? Yeah. And I think the way I think about... JP Morgan is to payments what AWS is to the cloud and the internet. Uh, we move, I think, something like $8 trillion a day. Wow. One in four of every U.S. dollar that moves around the world goes for our, our payment rails. You know, we're, we're supporting clients all over the world. We're growing, uh, you know, very ambitiously around the world. You know, historically, JP Morgan has been viewed as a U.S. firm, and rightly so. And when JP Morgan came knocking for me, it was irresistible. And part of part of what was asked of me was to look globally at how we could expand, you know, payments is scalable and there's no borders. So how could we how could we grow our, our, our footprint? How could we uh, work with technology, payment tech, fintech, and otherwise outside of US? And uh, to me, that's where the opportunity, I would argue that's where the most uh, opportunities lie because we're in a global world now. And in fact, you could argue the technology coming out of parts of parts of, uh, you know, this part of the world, out of, out of East Asia, out of uh, even East Africa, uh, Central Eastern Europe, dare I say Australia, is really, really exciting. And, and, and part of the challenge, because we're in a borderless technological world, is oftentimes those entrepreneurs, the second market outside of their home market they want to conquer is 
either the US or come to London or the UK next. So, so there's a, a natural synergy across the corridors. And again, facilitated by payments is how we can help them. Fantastic. Um, so touching on the the report that you, you guys wrote, I mean, I, I read it and I said to you before we started recording on this, uh, you know, it did the rounds at 11FS and everybody thought it was 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 great. I mean, it reads... Well, Richards did the rounds with us. So, did you it? Know, well, and, and you beat well, us by two weeks. So we, <laughs> we could keep swapping. It's good. Um, but but it, I mean, it reads like a love letter to me. Like, actually, this is people who are passionate about the industry and passionate about the subject matter writing something that they love. And that's, that's fantastic. That's what... I think um, your point earlier on around the the exciting thing about the industry is and that exponential change of you know new innovations coming to the market. It's just such a great time to be doing this, isn't it? In terms of working in this space and and doing the things that we do. But tell us a little bit more about why is payments eating the world then? Sure, you know, just to, if I can take a step back about why we decided to even author it. You know, I joined JP Morgan the first of March of this year, and I remember. Sitting down, having lunch with our, um, our our head of payments, our, our boss Tarkas, who's a total rock star, uh, you know, can do attitude, wants to get things done, doesn't see barriers. And I remember he said to me, he said, Jeremy, our our binding constraint is not resources here; it's ambition. It's a scale of the ambition, and it was absolutely true. And so I remember saying to him, we had lunch, sort of week two or week three, on a Friday, and I was, I said, why is it that like all these consulting companies and wannabe payments companies have a payments report. We're the leader in payments. Why don't we have a view? And he said, I agree. And he said, go write it. And, uh, you know, it was busy enough just trying to get my badge to work and the email to work and meet the new <laughs> colleagues and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I've got an outstanding co-author, uh, Neha, who's just an absolute superstar. You know, she and I were brainstorming on, on different themes and, and different ideas. And I mentioned to her this sort of side hustle project that I wanted to get started. And she believed in it. We co-authored it together over the summer. I mean, it was a busy, it's been a chaotic, but in a good way, extremely busy seven or eight months with the work we're doing. But this was a side hustle project. And, you know, as we thought about what is our vision for the, not only for the future, like what do we believe today? We wanted to send a signal to the marketplace. This is what we believe because firms like us don't often do that. And we wanted, to, we wanted to take a very proactive and pragmatic view of where we think the future of our industry is heading, how we're supporting our clients. But, but, but sort of tangentially to that, it, it's the, the biggest impact has actually been the cultural impact. When all of a sudden you've got folks across the world think, you know, reaching out, sending emails saying, hey, I didn't realize we're so forward thinking and we've got this view and, hey, I want to, can I join your team? I've had folks from a bunch of competitors who you'd think that, these fintechs reaching out saying, hey, it's like, I didn't realize a bank thinks like this. Wow, can we talk? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cultural dividend, I think, has been really, really important. But so, so too has been the, 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 the quality of the deal flow. Because again, who are the folks we want to deal with and work with, uh, potentially invest in, potentially acquire, uh, support their growth? Uh, you know, again, wouldn't necessarily think of a bank in this way. But of course, we're at the payments part of the bank. We're, we're the forward thinking part of the bank. And, and it's been really amazing to see the positive like inbound of it, David. And candidly, I would say going for- further, when we thought about what we should name this report, you know, I, I just had this weekend thought, I was on the bike and I thought, you know, what about payments eating the world? Nah, it's insane. And I suggested it to Neha and, and I just saw her visceral reaction. And I thought, wait, that's not, that's, that's not bad. That hits. So then we I had a meeting with our CMO, who's also new to the, to JP Morgan, who's awesome. And he threw his full weight of support behind what we did. And 
we were on a Zoom. I remember I was in Houston and, you know, I'm on the phone on Zoom with Dustin, our CMO. And I, he's like, what do you want to name it? And this, I've got the hole in the phone like this. I go, payments reading the world. And he like nearly jumped out of the phone. And I'm like, wow, two for two here. And then we just named it that. And we obviously had to keep it a secret because you can imagine it could become a quote in its own right. If someone else said it, it would blow the whole thing up. And remarkably, uh, it, it was kept a secret until launch. And it's been really humbling because here's the thing. We believe that as I said earlier, we've just gone through this era of connectivity. We've connected people to create vertical platforms. Now platforms want to talk to each other. It's interoperability, it's API, it's exchange of data, it's exchange of value, it's the era for payments. And so therefore, we think there are, you know, in 2020, there was 240 trillion with a T of, of global payment flows. We think that this acronym of Power Plus represents 54 trillion of those payment flows in 2020. They are the highest growth most innovative, uh, deepest value pools, where we think there are sort of 20 sub-themes or value-added services along the, the Power Plus acronym, which stands for platforms, online wallets, embedded in real time. And of course, these themes shouldn't surprise anyone, but what I wanted to do when we, when we created this was to make it bite-sized. Like, if you think payments, it's often hard to explain. It's hard to conceptualize because it's invisible. Yeah. Unless it's physical, of course, but we're moving into a digital world. Well, so, and often it's a, a regulatory acronym yeah. or it's a, you know, PSD2 or ISO yeah. whatever. Or, and actually, you know, something that people can actually remember off the back of it, I think is, and, and that's what really stood out in, you know, like saying the 11FS Slack was like, cool, the power thing totally makes sense. And actually everybody can, everybody can remember what each of those things stands for. And it's then a, it's a conversation point, isn't it? Because I'm sure you guys are, you know, standing up and doing presentations about these things. You've got like an hour of presentation right there, just in terms of unpacking what power actually means, haven't you? Yeah. And we wanted to make a bite size. We wanted to make it that any frontline, you know, any client relationship manager or any frontline staff or any, even in the C-suite could have a narrative that was, that rolled off the tongue. It was simple because again, payments can be complex or historically has been complex in the way it's been framed. Now payments is sexy. Let's make it, let's make it bite-sized. Let's make it consumerable. Let's make it at scale that people can talk about this in a way, because when you start demystifying the complexity of it, and then you start thinking about these new ecosystems like wallets on wheels or connected cars, for example, we did, we just did a big investment here in Europe on that, uh, with VW pay, you know, you think about the modern day vehicle, you know, the car as we knew it has today has five kilometers of wiring in the car. There's like a hundred million lines of code in the car. There's the power of 20 PCs, 25 gigabytes per hour of data that's processed by 2030, you know, there's going to be 95% of the cars on the road will be connected cars. We think of that as a, as a wallet on wheels. You think about, but again, it only becomes that when you can enable the payment. It's not just about paying for petrol or, or tolls in the car. How much time do you spend idly in the car? We're not even talking about an autonomous vehicle world, which is three steps away. Just think about how much time you spend that's idle in the vehicle now. Imagine if you could be productive. Imagine if you could use it as a marketplace. You could speak to a chatbot to start buying groceries for when you get home. You could start paying bills. All of a sudden, you've, gone, you've just created a new payment ecosystem that happens to be mobility wallets on wheels. And I think that's what we need people to start thinking about. Yeah. Because then you fundamentally change how you think about what you do. And then you democratize an entire new part of the economy. Yeah. Enabled by payments. Mm. To sort of unpack the the power piece a little bit for us then, because I think if you, so you say platforms online, wallets uh, embedded and real time. So because this is almost a, I mean, this is a framework that you've kind of, you've, you've built around really what you think the, you know, the aspiration of how 
payments can really impact the world, how they can, you know, eat the world. So just touch on that a little bit more for us. So with regards to sort of platforms, what do you mean by that? Sure. We think about sort of vertical marketplaces in a way. You think about there were $36 trillion of payment flows across, you know, the platforms in in 2020, of which $32 trillion came from China alone through the super apps. Um, You know, I think super app is a value-added service on top of a platform, if you like. And I think it's important to make the distinction between how we think of value-added services, but platform being the sort of the mega theme and then value-added services being the platform, the, 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 the super app on top of that. Why it's important, for example, let's let's talk, talk about platforms, right? Because I talked about platforms earlier. We've created these through connectivity. If you think about, the, I mean, for most in the West, there isn't a, such an appreciation of the importance of a super app, particularly in China or in, or in Asia more broadly. You know, I, for one, want a simplified digital life. I think the average data point is that like 80, the average American has 80 apps on their phone. For whatever it's worth, I was bored on the plane after listening to the podcast. So I, I looked on my phone. I think it was 135. Wow. And by the way, the average American only uses nine apps a day. I think I use, by the way, nine apps just to get to London because of all the new travel rules. But put, put that aside, you know, the average, the average consumer has 150 passwords. 80% of consumers are worried about data or privacy. I'm surprised. Well, I don't know what the other 20% are worried about. I'm surprised the number's so low. So point being is a simplified digital life by aggregating the, the noise into these sort of vertical platforms, the, the super app is coming to the West. You've already seen, like, I don't want to single out too many, but I would, I would argue Nike is a really good example because it's a consumer good company that probably most people could relate to outside of financial services. They've got over 100 million dedicated loyal consumers in the US alone. I might be one of them. Uh, you know, they've created this, this sticky ecosystem within their app where it's not only about just buying and selling shoes or clothes. There's a lifestyle component. There's an engagement component. There's an interactive component. What other services could they layer on top? But it starts with a payment. Yeah. You think about, uh, you know, the, what, what some of the other, other verticals are doing, with, especially now going direct to consumer, because when you control your, your channel, all of a sudden, you don't need the marketplace. Mm. Now, another interesting data point is that in 2015, I think about 25% of all commerce in the US or e-commerce was through uh, you know, these marketplaces. Now it's about 60%. Now, the 60% who, who rely on the, the, the Ebays, the Amazons of the world, that's going to cater for your small business through to your, some of your larger enterprises. But, but the super large enterprises have their own direct consumer channel, and can create their own super app-like experience, which I think is really interesting. Again, without the payment, you couldn't do that. Yeah. The payment has unlocked that whole ecosystem, and it's coming to the West. Yeah. It's coming to, it's going to come to the UK, it's going to the America, Australia, you name it, it's coming fast. Yeah. Well, you, you touch on with the E in power, embedded. Yeah. And, and actually, I mean, embedded is, is sort of almost, to your point, on the stack. I mean, yeah. Taking the solution to really where the problem is, isn't mm-hmm. it? And we've seen, you know, payments players do this so effectively in the last couple of years. I mean, Klarna is a brilliant example of that. Is like, actually, is there anything particularly innovative in the product? Not really, but like the problem is being solved by the solution right next to the problem. So you can do things amazing. Uh, PayPal, you know, you say PayPal back in the day, the first wallet. I mean, what problem were they solving? They were solving, I can't find my wallet, so I'm going to use PayPal, and that's fine. Like if that if that is uh, solving a real consumer need, but embedded finance, embedded payments is 100%. is really like a, an explosion, isn't it? Yeah, and I think buy now pay later or BNPL is a great example. And a number of the big companies came out of, I mean, Klarna came out of Sweden, but Afterpay came out of Australia. You know, following the space for some time before it really hit the US, I would argue that 
what's actually more interesting is is on top of your point about embedding the payment method, uh, you know, at the point of sale to make it a delightful experience and a more efficient one for both merchant and consumer. I would argue there's a bigger kind of structural shift that's going on between the, there's there is a battle that's being fought for the new consumer. It's under 40s, which means older, middle, younger millennials, and then Gen Z, and whatever we're going to call the kids after Gen Z. There is a there is a, like a religious war that being being fought between traditional credit card issuers and now merchants. The balance of power is shifting, powered by buy now pay later and, and other you know one click checkout like experiences, because the power is shifting to the merchant. Mm. There's a reason the merchants are paying a premium to embed BNPL like experiences. It's not only for lower checkout abandonment rates and, and higher conversion and a better experience because it's a, they're also embedding a, a better payment experience where they don't have to worry. They can worry about having good products, good service, and the payment's taking care of itself. But it's getting higher flow. But it also means the power is shifting from traditional credit to the merchant side. In addition, I think you know 85 to 90% of BMPL users in the US, it's linked to a debit card, right? So there's another shift away from credit, traditional credit to debit low-cost payment method, cheaper, more reliable. You look at it's, – it's, it's being fueled in, in part also with the 60 million gig workers in the US. I don't know what the numbers are in the UK, but the 60 million gig workers, you've got the creator economy, 2 million Americans last year filed a six-figure income by basically selling their own content on a phone. Mm. And again, you can only do that because you can get paid in real time. Yeah. So to me, these are structural shifts in the new economy. Yeah. And, and I think you get it. Your, your listeners get it. Your, your, your staff get it. Your teams get it. I think corporate, the corporate world is starting to get it. Yeah. The question is how quickly will they get it before it's too late? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? As you, as you describe it, the, you know, the, you touch on the real time piece, which is obviously the, the end of it. But, you know, these are, it's like the modern day building blocks for a new financial services industry, isn't it? And actually, once you've got those, those payments capabilities and the, the Lego blocks to build above, then actually the things you can do, the, the platforms you say, the services as we call them at, at that top level, can just be so much better, can't they? That's where, when we've talked about, you know, things like digital riches, that's what we're trying to get to is almost, hey, if you really, your point earlier on around the aspiration, often we see a big aspiration, but without the the execution. Yep. Um, and actually, it's, it's interesting to sort of start, I feel like we're starting to get to that point in the industry where, um, you know, people are making big statements about change, but actually backing it up now, well, which is fantastic. May I say, and... When I first met you, you were given a keynote in New York, and I remember you said the 1% done. And I remember thinking, who is this bald guy? He's, <laughs> he's got an accent. It's not an Australian one. And I'm like, it's true. We're, we're barely 1%. At that time, we were barely one as an industry, right? Mm. But even the way you demystified that, right, because all these people in the audience are this big future financial services thing are probably thinking, oh, we've done a great job. We can, we've done the transformation. Okay, let's get back, you know, and you're like, no, 1% done, barely started. And you see the reaction. And I thought that's, that's the guy we need to be associated with. And so you think then through to like, whether it's power plus or riches or whatever the case may be to break down the building blocks for the new economy so that nobody has an excuse to hide behind the, the incumbency or hide behind the complacency and say, you know, head in the sand, we can just move on. Cause at the end of the day, we all share the same customers, whether they're incumbents or, or, or insurgents. The customer expectation has fundamentally changed, and the technology has created a level playing field. Technology also creates scale, and I think that's what's so exciting with our industry, and that's why we need to continue to have these sort of dialogues because it gives a safe space for 
the incumbents to be vulnerable, and it gives a a different access point for the insurgents to understand how to approach an incumbent, how to partner. So it might not always be the right the right fit, but at least to know, because I think collectively as an industry, we all get better. Now, obviously, in in Europe with open banking, it's different in the US, so it's a different it's a different. Uh, sort of playing field, if you like. Mm. But I think there is a harmonization in practical terms that's happening. There's a recognition, but recon- recognition, sorry, not only in, in the banking world, but I think broader corporate world mm. of the role of fintech or, or tech within the stack. And I, I you know, would just simply say to, to anyone in the corporate world out there who's new to the space is think about fintech as like the, 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 the friendly front end. It's that last mile of distribution. And the customer doesn't care, if it, is it fintech X or company Y? At the end of the day, they just want a good, quick, cheap, reliable, safe service. Yeah, and that's that's how we all work together. It's funny, isn't it? We, uh, you know, inside the industry, we get so obsessed with these things, but you know, customers just care about the outcome, and that's the thing. You know, yeah. and that's why. Um, I mean, a lot of the things with open banking, people are like, "Well, do people really understand open banking?" Yeah. And I'm like, "No." And my mum is never going to understand open banking, but she doesn't understand how a combustion engine works either. Yeah. You know, so but like, no one cares know, when they go on Google. When it auto corrects, what was the technology behind that? Like, wow, I only typed in three letters and I got what I needed. Yeah. You know, like to your point. And I, the other thing that's interesting is that, um, you know, as we think about the role of the technology that's behind it, again, it's less important. It's just about the outcome. And now you're in this like speed driven world. So all the more reason to be partnering with those who can help accelerate you there faster. Because again, look at look at the shifts we've seen in the in the pandemic. When you've gone from a world that's been BAU, normal, physical, and digital, but predominantly physical to like shutting down overnight to going f- full digital. When consumer behavior changes, and maybe you've used digital channels in whatever industry for the first time through necessity, then you use it the second time, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the umpteenth time, those behaviors aren't going to unform. Mm-hmm. They're not going to unchange. They become ubiquitous. And I think that's also will be interesting to see as we hopefully get out of this uh, situation sooner than later and the world can get back to to being healthy, one, and two, being productive, um, and three, being sort of prosperous because we, we know there's going to be mental health issues that will mm. last a very long time out of this. But assuming we can get those three things on the right track is what industries will fundamentally change. And I think we're already seeing it in some, some aspects. But what industries will still be there? Mm. Because the new consumers, I, I, you know, even look at the creator economy. You know, sorry to bring up Nike again, but the co-founder of Nike, Bill Bauman, the famous track coach, gave a famous quote that said, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And I think I would I would sort of paraphrase that, that if you have a smartphone, you're a small business. Mm. Because nowadays you can monetize your part, your content, in, you know, connect it to YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat and monetize it. I mean, the highest grossing uh, uh TikToker was a 15-year-old girl in Connecticut, made five million bucks last year. I mean, that's not bad coin. Yeah. And all through a smartphone and these technologies. But again, you have to be able to get paid. Yeah. And in real time and low cost. And that's what how payments have unlocked that new economy. Yeah. It is amazing, isn't it? Like, and as you say, those brands, somebody like Nike, I think I've said it live on the podcast a bunch of times, but if anybody's listening from Nike, Nike uh, well, every day, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if ever Nike build a bank and 11 if, if, if ever they do that and 11FS didn't do it, I'm going to shut down the whole company because uh, like, <laughs> at that point, it's just, it's over. But I, I know you've got, you've got to make a flight, so we better wrap this up and, and kind of get uh, get going. But I mean, just before we sort of send off there, I mean, what's next for, for JPM in the space? Because I mean, you've put out 
this great rapport. I mean, there's always the pressure for that. It's like that tough second album now where you've got <laughs> to kind of come up with in, in terms of like following this up. And uh, and then it's, you know, practical sense. Like I say, you guys are not a, a research house. You're a, you're a doing organization. So yeah. you guys are, are obviously putting a lot of these things into practice, right? Yeah, we are. I mean, we, we just did something with Volkswagen Pay on the wallets on wheels analogy or the connected cars, as I mentioned, that's released about two months ago. Payments are in the world is our vision for the market. It's a it's a very provocative, uh, forward-thinking narrative. Part of my remit since coming on is to look at the world. We've already made one investment in Europe, as, as we just mentioned with VW. There might be others in 2022. We're very bullish on this part of the world in particular, not, not least of which outside of the US. I would simply say that a big thank you and shout out to my amazing co-author, Neha, who's who's a rock star and was a lot of fun doing this together and the rest of the marketing organization who supported us. But but here's the, the really one thing I want to say. Our vision, our ambition is to be the, the world's most trusted global innovator in payments. That's what drives us every day for ourselves and for our clients. And, and, and being new to the organization that's 200 years old or 200 and something years old, it's day one. That's how we think about it in the payments business. It's day one. Yeah. Because our clients don't have time to, to mess around. They want real time. They want, they want here in the now. They need global solutions. Payments is fragmented globally. There's a real opportunity for, for future collaboration, further collaboration, further investment between the incumbents and the, and the insurgents. And that's what's exciting. And that's why we'll be back in this region a lot in 2022 and, and keep an eye on it. That's super exciting. I mean, it sounds like you're, uh, you're not only going to be having loads of people reaching out to you for jobs, but potentially people to invest in their, their businesses at this stage as well. So uh, expect yourself to be, uh, I imagine, pretty much inundated. Uh, fortunately, we are going to have to wrap up now, though. I mean, Jeremy, thank you much for dropping into thank the you. 11FS office. Um, where can people learn a little bit more about you? I mean, where can they pitch you for the uh, for the investment opportunities as well? Uh, well, don't pitch, but uh, get me on LinkedIn, Jeremy Balkan. I think there's only two of us. Uh, the other the other guy, I don't know who he is, but he lives in Houston and apparently is a photographer. So the other guy would be me. Uh, but if you want to pitch, go to the other guy. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. We'll, we'll drop a, a link to the uh, report if you haven't seen it in uh, the, the show notes for this one as well. Um, but do take a look at that report. It is super duper good. Uh, as for me, you can always find me lurking predominantly on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps everybody to do it. While you're next on your next plane trip, Jeremy, you can write us a review. Uh, as always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or FinTech Insider. Or if you really want to, email us on podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.